and welcome to that shady buffalo podcast a podcast about unimportant things that for some reason are important to us i am your host david cole and let me be the first to welcome you to dune month march is going to be dune month um i mean i don't know if we'll do four episodes or whatever but we're doing at least two and maybe three or more we're doing so, at least if you don't like dune sorry <laughs> so uh joining me you, you've heard a little bit from them already we have carson stafford and lincoln anderson guys how are you doing and answer that question and then like what was your first experience of dune like how did you first hear of or experience dune in any way shape or form carson go ahead i'm doing pretty good um i'm excited to be on here to finish the um mcu tier list with yes. my uh, friends david and lincoln uh, no um how did i first uh like my first experience with dude i'm trying to remember i really like i mean it was literally like looking forward to this brand new sci-fi epic uh from denis uh leading in up to 2021 so like my first exposure to the material was literally the movie and the trailers and stuff but um, obviously, like I knew Denis was a phenomenal director, especially in this genre. And then um, and I knew that Dune was a uh, very critically acclaimed um, piece of literature and is kind of like the source material and original content for a lot of sci-fi uh, tropes and just things in sci-fi in general. So that was kind of my first exposure to it, though, was the literally just uh, the 2021 movie part one. Yeah. Um, Lincoln, how about that? Yeah, it's funny because I would probably say the same thing, except something I've realized recently is that I actually, I think on like Reddit, like years ago, read someone basically giving like a two paragraph summary of like the story. And I remember thinking that is such a cool concept. <laughs> and, but, and I'm not going to spoil it anything, but it, this is like stuff in like, god emperor and like books oh, so... way past where we're currently at we're basically where the franchise becomes about stuff like yeah past like what we're at right now but yeah and i remember thinking like that's so cool and then this movie and basically learning about the franchise i really started like i connected that dot and was like oh that's what this is about so i actually like am pre-spoiled for like god emperor of dune and children of dune <laughs> books, but, books three and four yeah. Yeah. yeah, but three. I would say that, yeah, three or four. But yeah, I would say that this movie was, and like also I'm a big David Lynch fan. So he famously made a version of Dune that he is disavowed basically because, you know, shocker, they did not have the technology at the time. And I believe it's shorter than both part one and two of Dune. It's like a two hour and 10 minute movie and it's the whole first book. So I like I don't I'm interested to watch it just for that because like yeah. I don't even know how, but um, so yeah I mean that's that's kind of my first impression too was this movie which really I mean and we've you know a lot of franchises have kind of fallen I would say in quality over the past few years as this one has become and just like basically shown this is how you make like a blockbuster and specifically like a sci-fi blockbuster so I feel like that is kind of enhanced my like love of it and now i've read the first two books and i'm currently reading the third and yeah i mean i just love this franchise so much now yeah yeah i i went with you guys i think this movie was my first exposure um i watched this movie two or three times and decided to read to read the book read the whole book before i watched dune part two um and 
read Messiah, the second book, before I read, before I watched part two. And now after watching part two, I kind of want to read children. I actually took the book off my bookshelf and put it in my classroom so that I can read it um, during reading time. When they, I have different time during the day where I have the kids read and I'll read with them, but I don't read aloud, obviously, because I'm reading, you know, Jurassic Park or Dune or something like <laughs> something that they don't, <laughs> something super nerdy. Um, so yeah, I think that you mentioned like other franchises going down and this popping up. It's like, it just reminds me of the prequels coming out and like getting pretty bad reception. And then like, here comes Lord of the Rings. And then you got like the MCU kind of like stagnating a little bit. Star Wars is kind of over for a little while. Most people have negative views of the sequels or at least negative views about one or two or three of those movies. And then here comes Dune and it's like overall highly positive. Um, so that was, you know, my first exposure was this movie and just really falling in love with this movie and already having been a huge fan of Denis from Arrival, Sicario, Blade Runner. Like I'd already seen those three movies, I think, maybe one more. I can't remember now. At least those three. I'm being very excited for this movie. So we are going to get into the this movie, talk about the, the movie as a whole, um, and get into full spoilers. So um, the movie, both movies open up with just like, you can hear like chant type stuff in the background with like words across the screen. Yeah, pretty much. The first one says dreams are something. Dreams are... Calls dreams, from the deep, maybe something like that. I need to actually just pull it up. It's like dreams. Yeah. yeah, I'll find it. But it's it's something like that. And then your first dreams are messages from the deep. The um, that's what it is. And then your first. And then I won't tell you what part two is because that's you know just in case you care so much to not know what. The, but it's a very similar opening with uh, a phrase across the screen. Our first scene is. Um, I I, I always forget this first scene. I always just assume it's on Caladan with like Paul or something. It's not. It's uh, Shani narrating and telling us about the history of the Fremen and the Harkonnens, or not even just the Harkonnens. I don't don't think she even says that name. I think it's just the history Mm -hmm. of like people coming and taking from Arrakis and taking from her people and uh, and, bringing violence upon her people. Um, And it's like, you see Jamis attacking. um, What I'm assuming is the Spice Harvester, if I remember right. Um, Mm -hmm. And you see Shani there. And you see, you know, all the you do see Harkonnens, but they don't actually say that. I'm pretty sure you see Ravon, and they don't say like I don't think they say Harkonnen, but whatever. Um, what about this opening? What do you uh, what's your takeaway? What are your thoughts on the opening here scene with this introduction to Dune, Carson? I think it does like a very, very good job just kind of setting the stage of like what you're about to see. And I feel like we kind of talk about this every time of like, oh, there's this unwritten rule in media of show don't tell but it's like uh we're gonna break that rule because we have so much to tell you and because uh the source material is a is a book so we're gonna kind of break that and just to kind of give you just a little bit of exposition and i think like in all that to say like that's not bad like you need that there's times to do it and this is an example of doing that well um and then kind of the other reoccurring thought that i have when re-watching this movie is like oh that's Zendaya, that's Chani. Uh, can't wait to get a lot of her in this movie. And then I always think of the joke <laughs> where they're like, the only bit of like Zendaya as Chani that you get in this movie is like the clips from like a perfume commercial. Um, yeah. <laughs> so that, uh, that like, those are the thoughts that I have op- uh, like from that, from that first opening bit. Yeah. Uh, Lincoln, what about you? Yeah, I think similarly, it is funny because they're like, we can get one more Zendaya scene in here. So I think that's part of it too. 
but uh, I think it, I think it is good because the book does not do that. The book is mm -hmm. pretty much like you're here's you know here's the Atreides, and you kind of stick with them for the most part. I think you also jump to Gaty Prime and the Harkonnens, but yeah. So I think that's a really good way of because even like I think Herbert was a pretty you know forward thinking person, obviously, but I do think like obviously some of the stuff the way that he deals with because obviously like we're going into a desert and there's this resource that we are going to attack people to get it's like you know it's not a super coded metaphor like it's pretty <laughs> no <there>. it's pretty <laughs> clear yeah and so i think that it it to start with that perspective where you before you hear anything you hear the fremen perspective i think is really important to show that like yeah. You know they were being persecuted by the Harkonnens, and you know the rest of the movie shows you how horrible the Harkonnens are. So you like connect with that immediately. Yeah, yeah, it's it's it's, it's a it's a pretty good start, as you guys have already said. So uh, the next scene we get, um, Paul has like a dream of Chani wakes up. We get the title card that it's the year ten thousand one hundred ninety one, and I'm not sure that I've ever like actually like noticed. Like I've always like said, yeah, there's the year. Who cares? <laughs> but like, yeah, ten thousand one hundred ninety one. Um, he wakes up on Caladan. You get some like you know establishing sh shots. See the title card of Caladan, homeworld of the Atreides, um, and then you get the, this breakfast scene with Lady Jessica, um, Paul's mother, and Paul, and we get our first like look at the fact that this is not just a pure sci-fi in the terms that like there's technology and machines and space-looking people and weird planet names but there's like some level of magic but it's not like is it, is it magic or is it not like with the whole voice thing which is what i love about this universe as a whole is like they kind of tread the line between science and magic and fantasy and sci-fi mm -hmm. in a way that i don't know that anything else really totally does that, uh quite like this but anyways um lincoln what are your thoughts on this, this scene here with uh paul and his mom yeah, to get extremely nerdy, I will point yes, out that that's 10,000 AG. Oh, yes. And te technically, that I, th I believe that would be around 25,000 AD. <laughs> Let's go. So AG is after so guilt, Jesus, so post the, the the space guilt. Christ exists in the same universe is what you're telling me. <laughs> I mean, it is funny to think about that. Like most sci-fi universes, like Star Wars, it's like it's completely separate. But this one is like these people no. used to be in Greece, and they are now <laughs> the Atreides of Caladan. I mean, at one at one point, they someone someone says something to Paul of like they look at you as as if the, as if you're their Messiah. Like that is like not even a yeah. hint that like Jesus yeah. is canon in the new universe. Yeah, I mean the Catholic <laughs> Bible is yeah. Is a, in, well, it's much at least more, the book. I don't it's know much if bigger it's in the book. In the movie. I think there's a clip yeah. where you see um one of the characters having a Bible. Like, wait, wait yeah. what I know is a Bible from the book, but in the movie, they don't really talk about yeah. it. But yeah, to, to jump to this scene, I do think, one, it's obviously the introduction to Lady Jessica, who, I mean, I don't know if there is a blockbuster actor doing better than uh, Rebecca Ferguson. She's just, whatever role, be it Mission Impossible or Dune, it's just like, oh yeah, she's perfect in this and she's so good and like brings so much gravitas and so immediately like you see that there is yeah like you said there's something more going on and then i mean this gets to the actual like craft and filmmaking in this just being second to none but like the sound design anytime mm -hmm. the voice is used is just like and the way that it like almost skips to where like you're kind of experiencing like when the voice is used on paul it's almost like time skips where it's like he doesn't realize what he's done 
specifically later, obviously, when the, yeah. the Reverend Mother is there. But that's like just the way that, again, like Denny, you give him a concept and he's going to show you it in the most like auditory and visually stunning way possible, basically. So yeah. I think that's like really where that starts to kick off in this, where it's like, this is a weird sci-fi world and like a master visual director is just, like mm-hmm. showing you it basically. Yeah. Carson, what about you? One of the first things that I remember like from the very first time that I watched this movie and seeing this scene of Jessica just kind of when she's like uh, wants him to use the voice and is having him practice is like it does is they do a really good job kind of informing the viewer that Paul is being prepared for something and so you're like and you you don't know anything about I mean like when I went into this movie I knew nothing about the universe but I was like okay so his mom is some sort of freak uh ben jesuit as they say later um who show she's trying to like train him in some certain art and then i don't want to skip too far ahead but literally in like the few more scenes you see him uh training in another art so you're like very quickly in this movie you're like so he's he's being trained on all these fronts for something very massive and it's not just because he's um just royalty it's like this is this is different mm-hmm. uh, and so it kind of sets up um it sets what's to come up in a very cool uh cool way that you just like is not done anywhere else yeah and i would it's almost I would, like go ahead alexander the great like where he was like trained yeah by, like, in every single way it's like yeah. you know that i feel like he's kind of pulling on that a little bit too yeah um, and I'll add in there that like you can feel that that he's special, but also in that moment, Jessica is the master and the expert, and he is still he's tell he's he's special, but like it's not he's not he has a way to go still. Right. Um, number one, number not two, really. he's literally like I just woke up. <laughs> yeah, like let me speak in. Um, and I I do love that he lies to her about the the dreams. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting it like like lets you see that because there's there is distrust between the two of them. Now you as the audience have to decide like is Paul the one that I should be following and trusting, or is Jessica the one that I should be and it puts that little seed in there. And I don't think it's in the book. I don't know, maybe it is, but um in in the movie, there's throughout both part one and part two, you're constantly like, Is Jessica right or is she bad? Is she bad? Like, is she good? Is she bad? You can't ever tell. And, and and the answer is just complicated, which is why it's pretty cool. Um, so then the, the next scene you get Paul studying uh, up on Arrakis because they're, they're they're going to be going to Arrakis. So he's like studying. This is what I love. This is there's several scenes that do this, but this movie has got to give you, like you were saying, Carson, so much information. And so instead of just being like, here's a big title card, or here's like a big narration of just like five ten minutes like they could do something like lord of the rings in the fellowship of the ring where there's just this huge action scene with narration over it but there's not this there's, there's, no, there's probably even more that you need to know than what fellowship of the ring has to do so it's like that's not gonna be that's not, that won't like super work it's gonna be super long like 15 20 minutes uh and so these sprinkly little five minute scenes or less in there of paul studying and there's like a narration from an audio book or like a video projection and they give you little bits of information. I think it's like they kind of drip it to you in a way that makes it, you don't even notice that you're just getting pure exposition. But I don't know you know, if there's anything else in this scene that uh, stands out to you, Carson, but it's just like him, 
he does have a vision of Chani, kind of, but it's hard to tell if that's like even just in his mind or him just remembering the scene of the dream from the night before. Um, but there's really not a whole lot else uh, to that scene. But anything that we need to talk about for that? No, I no. think you pretty much covered uh, most of it. It's just a great way to make it very easily digestible, um, especially like this movie. I've said it before, but the, the movie as a whole of part one, like yeah. when you watch it, it kind of feels like a bit of a slow burn the first time you watch it because you're taking so much in for the first time. But really, once you watch it a second or a third time, it really gets going. Um, and I think that um, like it's very effective. The pacing mm -hmm. is very effective because you get very efficient scenes like that where it's, hey, I'm going to show you this 30 second clip that Paul's watching and it's going to give you all the context clues uh, that you're going to need for the next hour of the movie about uh, what these characters are going to be learning about this area. Yeah, so Lincoln, the next scene I know is a favorite of yours. This is where we get the um, Herald of the Emperor, right? Is that the, 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 the Herald, Herald of the Change. Of the change. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So it's this Emperor's like lackey who comes to just announce yeah. in very formal garb um, with some uh, witnesses that the Emperor has asked the Atreides to come and be the stewards of Arrakis, and they accept. We get to meet a bunch of characters that are varying levels of importance in this scene. Um, and it just kind of feels like a, a random, like it's, it's, in terms of like, you don't realize like, oh, there's, here's, they're been taught. It's the first time you've seen one of these. And here's the introduction to that guy, uh, Huat, right? And then you've got, it's the first time you see Leto in the movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like, and then there's um, um, the, the Ben Gesserit, um mother, William, right? William? Rever. Reverend Mother, Mother. Helen uh, Gaius. What's her name? Helen Gaius Mohayim. Yes. Mohayim. Yeah. Mohayim. Yeah. I, I never know how to pronounce it as someone who like I don't think I don't know if they actually ever say it in the movie, but uh, no way. well, Helen and Gaius, <laughs> Helen and Gaius are way easier, but Mohayim yeah. or whatever. It, it, yeah. Several very important characters, not just to this book, but mm. to like beyond. Um, and yeah. sorry, not not just this movie, but beyond. Um, so, anyways, tell us, you know, what about. What in this scene is like makes it special for you? Yeah, and I think again, like I'm, I feel like I, if you could summarize my thoughts on like this whole movie is like because obviously, like we're talking about an adaptation of a story, so I think yeah, like, yeah, yeah. In terms of like the the actual like merit of the story is obviously like not really debatable. Like it is a classic work of science fiction, obviously, but mm -hmm. specifically what like if you could summarize it down to one sentence it's basically that like denny has the sauce like he can do it all right, all right marcus like, all right marcus scene. all right marcus <laughs> like all right. literally i know uh but like this scene in particular if if he was like 10 percent less skilled at just making incredible images it like you just lose so much of the audience but like every little moment and then like we basically get our first hint of like a little bit of humor too with gurney which i mm -hmm. like that that's like because other like i like that they basically were like we need to give a little bit of humor because if not this is like the most serious movie of all time <laughs> so like there's a couple <laughs> jokes with gurney but yeah and yeah i mean like you said it's like and then even that guy the the herald of the change like he he's this man who he i'm pretty sure he's like a male model or something i've never seen him in any other movie or something but he's like his couple lines like he's just kills it it's like the importance mm -hmm. and even like you know leto asks uh through fear 
about mm-hmm. how much does this cost? How much basically. money did it cost? Like, the yeah, just for a formality, like yeah. literally could have been an email. Could have been, and an it's email. like I love that, like that moment when he stamps his thing and he's like, "So it's done," and he's just like, "It is," and it's like there's this foreboding, like sinisterness to everything that's going on before you even know what any of this means. You yeah. know that, like, and I mean the you know. uh what's his name uh the baron puts it very clearly later like when is a gift not a gift like yeah that sense is there from like the very moment like yeah and i love that it's tied to like the atreides are honorable and that is why they're doing this because their emperor has called them to do it even though they know that it is like extremely dangerous in the best case and like complete death in the worst case so it's like like when he steps forward and is like gives that line and you're just like okay yeah Leto Atreides is like the greatest character of all time <laughs> like just like what is it like there's no call we will not answer there's no faith we will betray like, yeah yeah, yeah you're like one. all right that is a leader of men like I see it <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh Carson what about, what about you thought uh, yeah I thought Lincoln said it really well just like the the heaviness and the weight uh, of the scene uh mixed with kind of this like it's you can tell like it's very cool and very ceremonious but after that scene kind of goes on for a few seconds you're like this is it's kind of ominous and i don't understand why mm-hmm. uh, and that even adds on to it more so i thought that was well said but even beyond that is like something that's really cool is just like i mean we could say this for probably every scene that we're about to go through but like the set design of this of mm-hmm. like seeing the ship in the background and just like the colors and the depth of this um uh, in this scene and you see like you see oscar isaac as leto with like the dopest beard coolest like captain look that you can have uh, it's just it's so sick uh and then but then you see like all of house atreides behind him you see the flags you see everybody in their like ceremonial attire it's just mm-hmm. uh, it hits li- on every level yeah um, and and then the fact that you uh i think is this is like i think you I know you mentioned they're there, but I think like this is the first time you see the Reverend Mother. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're kind of like they're involved in things. Like you don't, uh, you know that they're kind of behind the scenes. They're like the yeah. Advisors. Well, you realize that because of some some really good face acting, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, um, but there's yeah, and there's just so much uh, in this scene that that provides context to things that they are not telling you. And you just feel it, and it's not even. It's not even anything they say. It's really not even as much as they do. It's just like an amazing sense of like makes of allowing you to feel like the weight yeah. of uh, magnitude of what's happening. The soundtrack does a good it job also, of helping that as well. Yeah, for sure. And that like we could say that for every scene too. Yes. Like Hans Zimmer is just on another level in this movie. Mm-hmm, but sure. I also one thing the scene does a great job of is it also kind of gives you even though it's just a snapshot of like oh yeah, this family is in charge of this whole planet. Like it would basically be like the president of the planet is, or like the king of the planet even more accurately. So it's like, they are extremely wealthy, extremely powerful and extremely. And so like them essentially having to like bend the knee and do this thing to the emperor again, it shows like just the, the power levels that like the, the galactic like scale that they're at is just crazy. And another thing that like, this story does so well, even though yeah. a lot of it is boots on the ground and like specific planets that like it communicates the weight of everything. Yeah. 
Um, okay, so our next scene is the introduction to Duncan Idaho. Talked about some some uh, comedic relief. You get a little bit of that in this scene. Carson, what are your thoughts on this scene here, or, or introduction to Duncan with Paul there? Um, I love this scene, and maybe it's because I am like 6'4 and weigh like 150 pounds soaking wet, but I love... <laughs> the scene uh where like they're just like kind of going back and forth and then it's just these two human be- beings who could not be more different in their physical appearance uh and just like to see like that they kind of have this like big brother relation like uh like brotherly relationship and how much uh Paul admires uh Duncan you can tell that he really like he trusts him i mean he tells him about his dreams and he's like worried about his um his well-being in terms of like the dreams that he has had and then of course you get uh the pretty cool line from duncan where he's like uh, paraphrasing here but he's like dreams are dreams or the important stuff happens when we're awake mm-hmm. um so he's clearly not too worried about it but um but then uh and then as they're kind of walking away i think it's later in the scene when he's like hey you put on some you put on some yeah. weight and he's like have i and he's like no no <laughs> um uh, so like that's i don't know like I, that always like being uh me the way i am that always cracks me up. but um i really uh but it's a great scene great scene all around for sure yeah lincoln yeah and i think this and there's a scene coming up that i think hits this even more on the head in an even more like emotionally weighty way but i think this scene's really important in that it is like all right we've seen these stakes you know the Benny gesture or whatever this weird like which people are and all this stuff and then it's like but also they're just people and like these are friends and that like you know ultimately we're following characters so like we need to know them as characters we can't just be like the son of house atreides like paul we know he has like a buddy who's like and you know like that's cool like we yeah. immediately are like oh yeah duck and idaho is cool like he's just this like cool pilot who comes in and it's like yeah i don't know i think he does such a good job of like immediately showing that like the stakes are there but also like these are people which again yeah. is really important to this story in particular definitely Okay. Um. Yeah. Well said. Love this scene. I like this next scene a little bit better. Actually, this is a scene with Paul and Leto, and it is like one of the greatest father son <laughs> scenes in all of cinema. <laughs> so, uh, as a as a as a someone that wasn't a father when this first came out and is now a father, like it, like I watched it if you, last week and was like legitimately tearing up. <laughs> it was like, yeah, this is this is good. <laughs> so, uh, Lincoln, your thoughts on the first scene here between Paul and Leto? Yeah, I, I I forgot it was literally the next one, but this is the yeah. one I was talking about. Where yeah, again, it's like we, so. we take, yeah, <laughs> we take like this, you know, Leto, this like you know, larger than life character, and mm-hmm. then we're bound by honor and everything. And then literally the first scene we see with his son, he's like, the only thing you need to be is my son. Which again, just like it does that great thing of contrasting with Lady Jessica, who like their mm-hmm. first interaction is she's like training him. Yes. And in this one, he's like, like duty will call you. And I think you're going to be great and answer that call. But if you say no, that is okay. You're my son and I love you. And yeah. like, that's just, and even like the, the actual context of that scene of them in the like graveyard of the great Atreides before they like leave. Like even that is just like, again, striking images. That's just like incredible. Yeah. But yeah, I, I love this scene so much too. Yeah. All right. Uh, Carson. Yeah, no, this is, this is maybe, like, if you're to, I don't know if I could say it's, I would probably it's say it's so my favorite scene in the movie, and it definitely is my favorite quote in the movie. Yeah, for sure. Uh, 
And uh, honestly, here, I, I have it I have in my notes, just for anybody listening, the quote is, a great man doesn't seek to lead, he's called to it, and he answers. And if your answer is no, you'll still be the only thing I ever needed you to be, my son. And that right there, like, it, it reminds me of, in a way, not because of the words that are said, but the nature of the scene reminds mm-hmm. me of um, the Luke and Yoda scene in The Last Jedi, where he's talking mm-hmm. about, like, uh, fa- uh, failure, the best uh, teacher is it just like it has a similar effect on me um and so both just obviously great quotes but it's also um just like it's really cool that it also is kind of representative of like i don't know it, it speaks to what's going on in that moment because paul's like he's kind of like i just want to go because well, he goes they have that conversation because paul's trying to get permission to go with duncan to mm-hmm. arrakis yes uh, he wants to be on that early strike squad team to go and so, like, he wants to go adventure. He wants to go uh, see what all is out there in this world. Um, and But his dad's like, of course you can't do that. What are you thinking? It's way too dangerous. You are the future of House Atreides. Um, but even in all of those things, he basically is just looking at his son and telling him, even if you're not what uh, what you have this pressure on you to be, mm-hmm. you'll, you're yeah. still enough. Um, and so I it's just a very, very powerful moment. And I think uh, you're not, you're not far off in that. It's one of the best father son scenes in, yeah. uh, in cinema. So I have never realized this until I'm having to like lay out the scene to talk about them with you guys here. This is the next scene is the fourth out of five scenes where it's just Paul and one of his mentors. <laughs> it's like a string yeah. of like 20 minutes. of just like Paul on a mentor, yeah. Paul on a mentor, Paul on a mentor. So it's like, you so you get Paul and his mom and you get um, the scene with the Herald of the Change. Then you get Paul and his, uh, it's Paul and Duncan, sorry, then Paul and his dad, and then now you get Paul and Gurney. Um, and all four of these people are hugely instrumental, not just in this movie, but in su- subsequent mu- movies and you know, whatever else. And so it's like really cool to see all of this. But one thing I'll add in that we haven't talked about really yet is that Paul, part of why he wants to go, not just to go on adventure, but he also has foreseen that Duncan's going to die on Arrakis. And so he wants to go and try to help prevent it. Um, and so you get more information about like these visions are potentially real or he thinks they're real. We don't really fully have total, um, a total answer as to like what exactly is up with Paul in terms of his abilities, but we know that he has some level of like foresight and, and, you know, how it comes and how it, how true it is. We don't know exactly yet, but we're getting grips of it. And I think that is a really important detail to specifically call out because it immediately shows that Paul is like a very emotional person. Like he, he knows that like duty wise and like logistically, no, he cannot go to Arrakis before like they all can go clear the way, Mm -hmm. but like his friend is going to die. So he's like, no, I have to go. Like I have to go, of course, even though like it makes no sense. And he's courageous. I I love that too. Yeah, and he's the courageous. So he's, he's yeah. like, I'm gonna do it. Like I, I have this, I have had this vision. He's gonna die. I, I love him. I'm gonna go try to help him, um, even though I know that he could. If he could die, that means there's obviously danger. So, um, okay. So the next scene is Gurney training with Paul. Um, Carson, thoughts on that scene here? I this might be <laughs> a hot take. Um, I so I have mixed feelings on this scene for a small reason. Like it's a very cool scene, uh, but for like the first few seconds of it, and I get why they try to do it um because you need to like kind of like the goal is to make the audience understand the stakes of what's about to happen but like it it kind of feels weird every time I watch it I'm like man Gurney is like on one what is his deal 
like and 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 I, and I get why they would do that. But even on top of that, when he's talking about the Harkins, uh, like there's a there's a few lines like the way they're delivered. I'm like, it's a good line. It just feels a little over the top for this moment. Um, yeah. And uh, but all that that's like a very small nitpick of the scene. I, I like it's honestly maybe the only scene in this movie where I'm not like this is perfect. Um, <laughs> but uh, but the actual uh, actual fight scene, it's a super, super cool introduction. I think this is the first time we get the shields. So mm-hmm. like and that's what's so cool is like when I was watching the movie again for the first time, like and I was like, man, what is the Gurney walks in and he's immediately like hounding uh paul like never never stand with your back to the door and he's like going in on yeah, yeah. Ring and really laying into him but like even aside from that like i immediately forget of like forget about any anything because i'm like oh man this is the this is so sick and then you get some neat lore there um that we haven't really got yet so it's like it kind of takes away my like my small gripe is basically immediately mitigated by just like yeah. one of the coolest i guess mechanics if you can call it that sure yeah in this in this universe and then i'll let you guys speak towards it a little more because you've read the books um but just like the way that technology works and why it works the way it does is all is super cool we also though do get what, what i think that over the over like the top um delivery helps sell is that like the harkonnens aren't stupid oh sorry the atreides aren't stupid mm-hmm. like they realize this is very serious and so that that helps sell that a little bit for me and as Carson said, like this, this is kind of getting into some of the more like what makes again, because it's, you know, there's an adaptation of a story. But what makes the story so cool is that like they really are dealing with like sci fi concepts that you I don't really see like explored that often, which is cool because this was like such a forerunner. And I feel like part of it is because like, yeah, like so to clarify, like the shields in this universe basically stop all lasers or projectiles or anything like that except if they are slow, which immediately is, you're like, oh, that's really weird. <laughs> so it's like the combat basically has to be that you like create a killing stroke by like creating an opportunity to slowly attack your opponent, which again is like just very unique. And it leads to like really weird fighting styles that are just like really cool. And then, yeah, I think that this also kind of starts hinting at like that this is a weird future where there's not a lot of technology, which obviously that's much explored in the books that like mm-hmm. basically there was a moment thousands of years ago where like AI nearly killed all of humanity. So now like thinking machines are completely outlawed, like your planet would be destroyed if you had one basically. Mm-hmm. And so again, it's like this weird kind of super futuristic society that's also like really analog in certain ways which is just like again it just the visual language of it all is like so cool and it's it's very unique which is but yeah and then also like this is kind of our introduction to gurney and i do Mm -hmm. think like i personally go the other way i think it is him basically trying to communicate to paul and then also the audience like don't take this lightly like the arcanins are he like i think the word uses brutes and like these are we grow, you know, we're on this beautiful land of Caladan. We're we're a certain type of way because your dad is a good person, basically. Yeah. But yeah. what if he wasn't and had just as much power? And that's like essentially what the Harkonnens are. There's such a you know evil mirror to what the Atreides are. Yeah, and like he either uses the word brutes or beasts. At some point, someone calls them beasts, and like 
we're which is the editing in terms of the scene choices of like the placement is perfect because the next one yeah. is the introduction to the Harkonnens, and then the one after that is is uh the test with the box and mm-hmm. the Gamja bar where she's trying to figure out if he is you know like human is what she says. So it's like you got to have all this conversation about beasts and animals and good and yeah. bad people and then it like all kind of just like flows so seamlessly so i, I love it uh so let's go ahead and move into that introduction to the harkonnens we get the baron and uh his nephew right raban is his nephew mm-hmm. um and the introduction scene in uh, the baron is like in basically like a like a steam room like a mm-hmm. like a futuristic version of a steam room he's sitting there naked and you, don't, you obviously don't see anything thank god <laughs> you don't you don't want to no one no not even the most depraved corners of the internet do they want to see that um uh so he's like you know yeah. doing a nice steam bath and uh his nephew comes in and he's just complaining about what happens with the emperor and the atreides getting arrakis um so carson what are your thoughts on on this first introduction scene here to the harkonnens my first thoughts on this introduction to the harkonnens <laughs> is that they look like a bunch of freaks uh yes it's actually like it's terrifying because you're like one what is wrong with their skin like why don't (laughs) like like there's just like it's funny because again like yeah like gurney is just telling them about like how like they're brutal how like they're brutes they're like soulless they're the worst uh like and you're like oh yeah they're like uh like some ancient civilization that like like we read about in history textbooks who are just like who do unspeakable things and then it cuts to them and you're like oh no they look like they do those things too um, oh they're just really weird yeah <laughs> and 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 that's and that's and i and that's robin not even talking about the baron yet yeah uh, yeah because you're like and then you and then you see him and you're like oh my goodness like they look even like weirder than just the one that i already saw um yeah so just truly like repulsive creatures yeah uh, and um but um i think this is where like like you said like robin comes in and he's he's complaining and is like how could they do this to us mm-hmm. and then i think uh lincoln you even mentioned it earlier but um this is when gift. you get yeah. yeah when you said when is a gift not a gift and then you're like that's when if you haven't picked up on it by now you're like man even the harkonnens like the harkonnens know what's going on too and they're kind of licking yeah. their chops because they know that not only are they going to thrive from this, but their enemies who Paul says that he's been fighting the Harkonnens for that. His family has been fighting them. I think he says for thousands of years, um, uh, if not thousands, he I think says, he says centuries, he says centuries because yeah, he, yeah. he, yeah. he uses the term decades and centuries. Mm-hmm. Uh, anyways. So uh, they've been fighting for at least 200 years of bare minimum and um so so the harkonnens are kind of viewing this as like man our our rivals are they're cooked we're gonna we're just gonna steamroll them they're they're done uh and so um and that's when you as a viewer you're like man this is there's there's a lot of uh you can kind of pick up on it with context clues earlier but now this is officially when you're like okay there's a lot of politic uh like scheming going on and you're kind of this i feel like this is the first time you truly can start to put those uh, pieces together even have like not knowing much about the great houses at all you can still kind of put those pieces together yeah yeah um okay did lincoln did you have anything else to add to that 
Oh, only thing is that <laughs> I got lost for a second. You, you forgot my boy Piter, who's also there. Yes, yes. the Baron's Mintat, uh, yes. who's great, great uh, character actor, David. Yeah. Demasculine is that his name? I don't know how to say something, his name, something but, like that. That's, that's good enough. Yeah, yeah, I love. But yeah, I, I just love, like you said, like this scene is like straight out of like Game of Thrones or something. Like it's, yeah. it's very like the, the political underpinnings to all that's going on. So yeah, I think again, great scene. Um, Almost like this movie is really good or something. Yeah, you know. Uh, our next scene, <laughs> I think, probably a seven out of ten, right? Yeah, maybe. <laughs> um. Uh, the next scene I think is my favorite scene of the movie. I think it's definitely one of top two or three scenes in the movie. So I always forgot. I always thought that like she, like the Reverend Mother, stayed behind. But she didn't. She left with everybody else and then comes secretly on her own back to Caladan. So talk about the Reverend Mother, uh, Helen Gaius Moyam, or however you, whatever, something like that, to test Paul, and um. We like he gets woken up from by his mom. He's having a dream about Johnny. He's woken up by his mom, and his mom is clearly like shaken and nervous and upset and like, um, very great acting here. This is like one of the mo- one of the moments that um Rebecca Ferguson kind of steals the movie. But also our introduction to their uh doctor, the Atreides doctor. Um, I don't remember his name. UA. UA. Yeah. Um. And he like checks Paul. <laughs> Not exactly. Um, but what I love about it, you get the introduction to the fear, the fear line. Fear is the mind killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you get the test of Paul by the Reverend Mother. And one moment in particular, I'll, I'll wait, but it's made a top two, three moment in this movie for me. Um, so Lincoln, this scene, what do you think? Yeah, like, like I said, I think just the the production design and everything is just so like the the reverend mother in this like the way that she has like a black veil over her face and is mm-hmm. like she's just sitting in the middle of this room in this chair and tell again like when paul calls it out she dismisses lady jessica like mm-hmm. get out of the room basically and again he, he says like you dismiss my mother in her own house and then immediately uses the voice on paul and it's like it's like he crosses the room before he even realizes like what he's done. Mm-hmm. And I just think like that's that all so good. It sets up like, yeah, this is and again, like Lady Jessica being so shaken, but also yeah. so she's fearful for Paul. But she's also scared of the Reverend Mother, but also she's scared of what she'll have to do because she even says, like, if people try to get into this room, they would not be able to because your yeah. mother would not let them, basically. Yeah. Like so it's like there's so much, and again, Rebecca Ferguson's just as good yeah. as it gets. Like she she carries all of that so right there. But then yeah, I mean, this is you know people. I feel like people kind of underrate Timothy Chalamet in some ways, where they mm-hmm. think of him just as kind of like this. You know, he's like a he's a very famous person right now, and you know, I'm sure people probably did this to like Leo back when he was like in his early twenties. But his acting in the scene is just so good, yes. and th- there's like a line in the book that talks about how i believe paul starts thinking while his hand is in the box that he's like basically everything from here on out is going to be a lot harder now because like he's only going to have one hand like in his mind it's like the pain is so great that he thinks his hand is literally like burned away and i think you actually do get a glimpse of that in this where you like yes you do it cuts away he sees his hand like yeah yeah. withering basically and he he sells it so bad, like when he does pull his hand out, he's like stunned that it's which again it gets to like 
what is this weird technology? Like, it's it's literally just a little box. Like, we can see it, but it hurt. Like, it, you know, again, it's like, this is a world that even when you, like, understand the concepts, you don't actually understand everything about this world, which, again, is just so, that's such a cool, like, world to dive into in a movie like this. Yeah. Um, Caution about you. No, I I totally agree. I think it's not a stretch to say that this is just like the best acted scene in this movie mm-hmm. between Jessica and Paul. And, and Lincoln, I'm glad you talked about Timothy Chalamet because I think like, I, I mean, you're splitting hairs, but like if you were to ask me what I thought is the best acted scene in the movie, I feel like it probably like I would say Timothy Chalamet during the Gamjabar test mm. uh, because he he's just like he's acting out of nothing he's literally just having to standing there acting like he's basically being tortured uh and um which what's funny about that is i actually like like i was talking to my family i was talking to him about dune or something they were asking me about it and um and, and my sister had seen it and um and she mentioned something about like how there's kind of a torture scene and so i was like sitting there like trying to describe how it's not really a torture scene because they're not doing anything <laughs> but the character is like acting like in the movie the character is acting like he's being tortured and it's yeah. like like it elicits that uh response from him and, and like that like as i was talking about it to them trying to describe it i literally couldn't because it was like it didn't make any sense <laughs> um but it, it literally is so cool um, and then, but the other thing about this uh, that I think you can kind of miss is that once you understand, which I think when you're watching it, you don't have the context of why, um, of what, of what Jessica has done in the fact that she is a Benedict Jesuit. She has now brought a male son into mm-hmm. this universe. She was not supposed to do that. She, she is trying to force uh, the Quistats. <laughs> Hadarach. Did I did I did I get it right? Did no. I get close enough? I think it's, no. I think it's Kisat's Hadarach. Okay, like... thank you. Hadarach is definitely the last. <laughs> I should have I should have had a proper yeah. nouns like a Dune proper nouns cheat sheet um, yeah. in front of me. Um, but so she's so um Jessica's trying to force that. So really, like Jessica is also like she's on the line here too because mm-hmm. if Paul is not he if fails. Paul can't pass this test, I don't. I'm I'm not uh. In, I'm not very well brushed up on my uh, Bene Gesserit bylaws, but I feel like there's some repercussions uh, for Jessica if uh, Paul, if she brings in a male son that she's not supposed to, and um, and then that son then just like dies because he couldn't pass the test. Mm-hmm. Um, so like she, like her son's life is on the line. Uh, her life could be on the line. There's all there's so much, such high stakes in this scene, um, and it just like knocks it out of the park yeah it's funny you say the proper noun cheat sheet thing because for lynch's dune they literally did that when they put it in theaters because they were like (laughs) this movie makes no sense they literally (laughs) handed out cards that were like this is what the mini gesture is this is what certain (laughs) things are (laughs) well when you when you try to fit like a six hour uh movie into two hours would you say two hours and ten minutes uh it's eight like an 800 page book in two hours basically (laughs) Gosh. Um, yeah, I think the only thing I would add is a couple of small bits. Like you get more of this, like, should we trust Jessica stuff when UA is te- like checking Paul. Paul like whispers a couple of questions to him and he like responds back really quietly. So like they're having a conversation within earshot of Jessica, but like 
so that she can't hear so he like wants to double check with somebody else like is this, like what is this am i am i okay like she's kind of like he's setting this scene of like paul doesn't 100 percent trust his mother which mm-hmm. is very interesting yeah because it, it, it's like she is a benny jesserit is her 100 percent loyalty to yes. them or to me like Am I literally just a result of her being a Benny Jessera, basically? Yes. And then the yeah. other thing I love about it is you get this parallel of them going back and forth between Jessica and Paul. And as Paul starts to test, you see Jessica like get more and more broken down, crying mm-hmm. and more upset and more nervous outside the door. And then when Jessica starts to, to, to go through the fear um, mantra to kind of like recompose herself is when Paul gets control of himself and you have the flash of the mm. fire and looking up in the Reverend Miller's eyes and like locking eyes with her and like defiance of this whole test and then passing the test and then her getting like full composure over herself. So it's like parallel back and forth of like, as the, they're both falling down and they're like, no, I'm going to get control of myself. And then they, get, get, they, they, they regain that and then move forward at the same time, which is this very cool visual storytelling in a way that's like very compelling, very interesting. Yeah, and one other super cool thing about this scene that I that I think deserves to be mentioned at least is like, I think it's the first time we see like the whole like use of sign language. Um, yes, but like that plays such a cool uh, role, and you're like, they're doing that in because there, there's there's guards right there, so you know that like I don't know, it just it adds. It's hard to to really put into words uh, exactly what that adds to this scene if you haven't. Like, if you don't know what I'm talking about, um, but, but when you watch the movie, you're like, it makes the whole sequence just feel so much more intense because it's like, it's secretive and it, uh, and it adds just to the lore of like, one, you're like, why do these people all know sign language? And then you're like, oh man, because their lives are so important that they need to be able to communicate yeah. without talking and like in front of people and like, because mm-hmm. their lives could just like depend on it at any given moment of time. Yeah. And, I'm pretty sure I I might be misremembering this, but I'm pretty sure there's like two versions of it too, where it's like there's a version that like the Atreides can use to like their lower people, like their guards and stuff. That again is like an Atreides version of sign language, but then there's also like a different sign language that the like higher ups know, where they can mm-hmm. communicate just them two, and nobody else would get it. So it's like again, it's like the, these people are. Again, like their their lives are so like big and important. Yeah, it just yeah. it builds on like this is a world very much in motion. Like we are not catching them at the start. Like there's so much history built yeah. onto it. So so now we leave Caladan. There's just some like cool visual shots of them packing up and, and um you know just around Caladan until they leave. So nothing really important there than just cool visuals kind of setting up the stage of them leaving and going to Arrakis. The arrival on Arrakis. Um, it's just like, you know, the ships come down and you get this very ceremonial moment of um, Paul and Jessica and Leto and everybody else, you know, leaving uh, the ship and walking out onto Arrakis for the first time. And you get some of the Fremen people um, nearby, like responding. Um, and they uh, like meet up with Huat, who had been there before the Mintot from earlier, had been there before with the advance um, group with Duncan and everybody else that had gone ahead to kind of make sure that it was all safe for them to come and arrive. So um, I don't know if there's anything else really in this scene. I think they like get on a thropter. So it's our, our introduction to their like helicopters, for lack of a better term, mm. um, and all by our, like how we would describe it would be like a helicopter. Um, 
and they go to like the main like the capital city to go like get set up and where like they're going to be established as a family um so uh carson i think you were second so carson <laughs> thoughts on this, this scene and the arrival of the, the arrival at iraq is here um it's just super cool getting more of like the all like the house of trades ceremonial stuff mm -hmm. like you didn't get enough of that in the uh, herald of the change scene you get more of that here um it's the coolest use of by uh of bagpipes that you'll get in anything <laughs> ever uh yeah like it's just like it's and i don't, I don't I, like i say that kind of laughing and smirking but i'm actually serious like it's like very cool music uh, and it's like yeah. intense and it perfectly serves it um and i think are you like you get a lot of like important things in this just because it's like they're they're here it's it's showtime it's uh it's like what we what we've been anticipating but i think one of the biggest things here is that you get like the greeting party from uh like the locals yeah. Um, you and I believe, if I'm not mistaken, you get them like kind of like chanting and like saying like the name, saying things, yeah, uh, like, like the yeah, lies on all guy even. Yeah. So that's kind of your first introduction to this, and you're like, and I think as a like the audience, I think up to this point, you don't know anything about that specifically. No, well, they Jessica in terms of the Fremen, Jessica, yeah, in terms of the Fremen side of it, you just get yeah. what the Ben and Jessica side of that is, right? Um, okay, yeah, good, Lincoln. Yeah, so I was gonna say the, the most important part of this is definitely like the Fremen, and obviously, like this is expanded upon. I don't know how much this isn't, I guess, like you know, skip 15 seconds. This is kind of a book spoiler, but that the Bene Gesserit have kind of laid this path for the like, and Jessica says that, yeah, she says it, she does yeah, that. She, she says okay, it. So it's not this, no, it's not. Yeah, that basically like the Bene Gesserit in part have like kind of laid this path where there is like, because they are trying to create not necessarily, in, in their minds, it's not, not like a messiah. It's like just a special person, but to basically allow themselves to have even more power. They've like seeded these myths throughout history of the different planets. So like mm. the Lisan al-Gaib and the Kwisatz Haderach are basically just different names for the same concept of like this special person. And then, yeah, I, I think that's so cool that, yeah, that's like, you see that like, oh yeah, like Paul fits the like description of their myth. So of course, yeah, these very religious people would be like, they would recognize that and see mm -hmm. it. So again, I think that's very, you know, there's a lot of biblical allegories, <laughs> a lot of stuff tied in with that. <laughs> yeah, the, the mother and the son. Um, so yeah. like, there's a like the like the that scene kind of transitions to them being on the thropter, and Paul is asking like, what are they saying? And so you get that backstory a little bit, but also you get more of this distrust or this like conflict between Paul and Jessica, because she says like, that means that. The 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 Benedictine have been here, like establishing, oh, yes. paving the way, and he's like superstitions. He uses the, the word superstitions, and she she's like, no, yeah. they see the signs, like they like. So there's this conflict of like, and, and what I love about it is that it it, the movie never is like, Paul is, this yeah. special person, and he one hundred percent is this thing, and you know we know that he has special abilities to some extent. He has these there are things that are different about him than other people in this world but there's never firm confirmation in this movie whether he is or is not any of these messiah type terms that are used 
um, to describe someone coming in this world. And uh, Jessica is like trying to make it happen to some extent, or trying to make him believe that it could happen, or that, that it is. That he, you know, you get the feeling that he believes that she believes that he is, or very well could be. And he very much is doubtful and thinks it's just like been planted by the Bene Gesserit. It's just like coincidental. Like you have set up this prophecy. So then of course I'm going to fulfill it. Cause you said like, like, why wouldn't I like, it yeah. makes sense. So there's this conflict of like, for the, even the audience of like, should we believe in this or not? And I love that. Like, that's not something that really ever is a part of a chosen one type storyline, whether it's the matrix or Anakin or any of these things, it's always like, you're the chosen one, and now it's a matter of whether or not you will, like, or when you will fulfill it. There's never a doubt. Like, yeah, you, like you never doubt if Neo is the one. You never doubt if Anakin is yeah. the one. Like, you know, it just like, it is what it is. So I love that this movie plays with that, and, and it makes it feel more real, like a real world. Because in the real world, if that was a prophecy, people would be on both sides of that. So it makes a lot of sense. Um, so like then that kind of continues a little bit into a couple more scenes of just getting the Atreides like comfortable, like into like comfortable is the wrong word but like they're getting acclimated to what is their new life on Atreides so there's a scene with like Duncan and uh no not sorry not Duncan uh Gurney and Leto uh, surveilling their equipment and it's all you know destroyed and, and you know mostly really like bad shape because the Harkin has just left it in disrepair or sabotaged it and then you get this really cool scene of Jessica picking a like a housekeeper i think is like the how we how we would describe this woman i don't know if she's more than that or not mm-hmm. in, in the book I, I feel like there's more going on there but in the movie it's pretty basic because it's not as important yeah. but um and jessica like this woman believes that jessica and paul could be a part of this prophecy and kind of like gives jessica the opportunity to meet that like prophetic moment and when she does has this very emotional moment of like belief, right? Of faith. Um, and it's just a, a cool to not just see like this group of people off in the distance that are that believe in this prophecy, but this is a personal one-on-one experience. So that to me stood out. Um, and then you get a third scene. So it's kind of all just like bleeds together where you have Paul um walking around and there's this guy watering the trees, like you shouldn't be out here. And he looks at these Fremen that are like I don't know if they're in prison. Like, that's never really talked about. It's kind of a random scene. Like, if this scene wasn't a I part think of the it movie, is. I don't think you'd miss it. <laughs> yeah, like, I, I like think it is basically bars. them. I think that's just a place for them to pray in the shade. Okay. Because I think like, you get like a shot of them like doing spice. Yeah. And so I believe it is like basically a place for them to go like get really high on spice and pray. Yeah. Because the because the he says like you shouldn't be out here. This like this person watering the plants, and Paul's like, well, they're out here, and points to the the fremen that are like uh, in the yeah. they're in the shaded area, and so it's like, is he trying to like be like, well, if I should be like this? Like, it's, I don't know. It's, it's just like an odd. Like I don't feel like it's. I think that that might be like. First of all, it's not a very important scene, but it might be the most like the scene where I'm the where I'm the most confused as to like what's the point of this? Like what's happening here? Um, but I think those like transition scenes, everything together. We're just kind of working to establish this next big scene, which is where the uh, where the, the little device. What do they call it? Hider seeker, hunter seeker. I was called hider seeker. So stupid. <laughs> well, it does, it does hide hunter seeker. Yeah, that's, that's why I was like, okay. So 
uh, let's talk about this scene because I feel like or, let's talk about all of these scenes because it's kind of like mm-hmm. most of them are like thirty seconds to a minute. So the the big yeah. one is the one with Jessica, and then the one with the hunter hunter seeker. So, um, and do I think we do also get the introduction of Stilgar and. Not, um, yet. not yet. Not yet. Okay. We're not there yet. Which we can do that if if you want to, but I think that's one of the one of the next scenes after okay. the Hunter Seeker. So let's focus on mostly any anything in that area, but mostly the two with Jessica and the Hunter Seekers. So, uh, Carson, what are your thoughts on those? Um, the scene with the Hunter Seeker specifically, that's I think kind of like obviously the actual like ambush is where mm-hmm. things where the movie kind of takes the turn takes into the next act. But this is kind of the momentum that gets you there um where like you're kind of put on alert for the first time you're like okay things are happening um so you get that um and you but that scene every time i watch it i feel like it um i like it more and more and more every mm-hmm. time um especially because just like the acting from uh that you get from leto there is just so cool he has the, uh like the line uh where i forget where he's like they tried i think let me see if i have it yeah i wrote it down uh where um oh yeah after is like apologizing to him and he gives him his resignation and he's like you're going to deprive me of your skills in this hour and he's like uh and he's like okay like i'll stay and he's um and then he then he says uh leto says to him they tried to take the life of my son i don't give a crap about your honor uh (laughs) you want absolution go uh go catch catch some some spies and just like the yeah. way he says it, the yeah. sternness, the tone that he says it in, he's like, you have my full confidence. He's like, I mm-hmm. still believe in you. I need you to do a job because like, it's like, and we're like me punishing you isn't going to do any good. Um, Like our lives are on the line already. Um, So that's super cool. But then also the actual scene of like Paul in the room where he kind of like, you know, something's up. Um. Uh, it's kind of cool because like you haven't seen a hunter seeker yet, but clearly Paul knows what yeah. they are. Um, so like he, I think he gets his shield. Um, he puts it on. If I'm not mistaken, I might have that wrong, but I feel like he reaches for it or at least goes to get it. Um, but he like hides behind the projection uh, in the room that he's watching, and that shot of like just his face and his eyes just like staring through the. 3d projection is such a good shot Mm -hmm. um it's such a very very neat scene um but that's um it's like i said like every time i see this this scene this segment i like i like it more and more and more yeah um lincoln yeah and i think jumping back a little bit to those other ones what i what i think is like again it's just such a good example of like they're able to tell exposition in a way that feels natural and so, like, that scene with the trees is probably the least natural because, like you said, it feels the most shortened. But I feel like it communicates, like, the the water is so precious Yes. on here. Like, it's, like, each tree is, like, 10 persons water a day or yeah. something like that. And also, it does a lot of really good characterization for Paul because he's, like, he's, like, <laughs> why don't we just cut him down? Like, you can kind of tell that he doesn't really have a ton of value for, like, I mean, he doesn't know at that point because then the guy responds, these are sacred trees, but... He doesn't really, for as much like ceremony as you see with House Atreides, he's not really about like the sacred, the uh, um, like the ceremonious, mm-hmm. like non-logical things. He's like, this can be used uh, for like, for people. Like he's, I, I, and I always see that scene as like compassionate as he's like, he's getting to this, uh, like this new area and 
learn learning all these things and saying that they're basically just they're wasting all this and he thinks it's kind of pointless because it could be going to a better uh cause uh, so i think it's it it also um not only like builds up um what you need to know for arrakis but also it does a lot of uh characterization for paul mm-hmm. yeah and i i think again like that that scene with shit out mapes is her yeah. name i believe Shadow. that's yeah. the uh, I love the line where she said, "When you've li- when you've lived with prophecy for so long, the moment of revelation is a shock." Yeah, and which again, another great detail in that scene is that Jessica, while she knows what's going on, they're st- again they're so important that they have to be careful of everything. So like she signs to her guard to be ready for violence because yes. she can tell that Shadat has a Chris knife on her. Yeah, and so, go like, bad. even though it becomes it is a gift, she's still like prepare for violence but uh yeah i love and then yeah j- the scene with paul speaking to characterization paul is content to hide from the hunter seeker until it goes after the person that walks in the room yeah. and then he jumps to action to save them and that person which is, I think is, is like, shit out it's shit out mate yeah. shit out mate so it's yeah. the same like it's the same person that from the last from like, you know like a couple scenes ago so it's it's, it's a cool yeah. connection there but uh, and I love one one other thing about the Hunter Seeker that I love yeah. is like again you you learn how like intense everything is in this world that when the Harkonnens left they left a guy behind in the wall to just like, wall. live there <laughs> like not to Libre yeah <laughs> and like he commits suicide after his plan fails too so yes. it's like this dude literally signed up for like a suicide mission to try and kill Paul which yeah. again it's like just very intense like people are willing to do crazy things, which is why like the level of like security and stuff that they have is like mm-hmm. warranted. Two small things about these, these scenes here. One is from the book, this scene with Shadat Mapes, she is like trying to prompt Jessica to fulfill this, like to like finish the sentence basically. And uh, of, of, like what the knife is and it's a maker, which is their word for um, the, uh the, the worms right so one of their words shy, shy halud is the other one but like a maker and what the book says is that like jessica was like trying to figure out what she wanted her to say and it was going to say something like a maker of violence or a maker of war or something like that but she wasn't sure what to say but she says maker and then hesitates and the woman responds emotionally and Jessica's like, okay, I, I need to stop talking. <laughs> that was the right answer. So it's like, again, playing, and in, in, in the movie, it's not quite as clear. She doesn't get cut off. You can tell, like, she, the, she gets, like, interrupted by the woman's wailing. Um, but it's like, in the book, it's even more clear of, like, this whole prophetic stuff is kind of sus. Uh, so it's kind of strange. But you know, it is a manipulation as well as, like, yes, fulfillment. For sure. It's, yeah. it, like, and it could, could it be both? It's like kind of the question you have to yeah. answer. Um, but one of the things about the scene with the hunter seeker is the first time you see the little uh, de- desert mouse, which is like you see it like yes. fifteen times before you realize in part two that it's like it's important in part two. But like in part one, you see it like three or four or five times, and in part two, you see it a few more times, and then it's like oh, oh okay, cool. Um, so I won't spoil anything, but Lincoln's read the book, and Carson and I have watched part two, so uh um we'll go on to the next scene so our next scene back on getty prime with the harkonnens and with the reverend mother and so you really get the full understanding that this is not just a happenstance that the harkonnens like are going to benefit from like this is the conspiracy so um lincoln what are your thoughts here about this this next scene with the harkonnens 
Yeah. And again, like I keep coming back to just like how cool this world is. Like the, and again, this shows how scary the Bene Gesserits are because there's this weird creature, which is one of the only like inhuman creatures that we see other than like the sandworms. I don't know. Do you guys even remember this moment? It's like in the back of the room. It's a spider and she, person, whatever. Yeah. Yeah. It's creepy. As yeah. It's out. like a weird creature. And she says, like, tell the creature to leave. And Pyre's like, it doesn't speak English. And she says, leave. And the voice, and, the and voice. it leaves. Yeah. And it's like, you it's, see that, like, they have, and I think in, yeah, in the book, it like, it talks about how they have such a, like, fine tuned, like, knowledge of themselves and fine mm -hmm. motor controls that they can basically control other people so again it's like this weird kind of sciencey explanation for like that but yeah it's it, again like the reverend again you're like wow these people are really powerful and scary and yeah and then the they say like put up the silence thing and then like the a big like, or whatever yeah yeah like no words can escape like this little area and yeah i just like these people are just like you could have designed like a group of like three or four more evil looking people to just be having a conversation yeah <laughs> you're just like okay yeah these are the bad people <laughs> yeah carson yeah I, this um again it's kind of i mean it's similar to what you get before where you're kind of like just like becoming more and more familiar with like the political like you said like there's a lot of scheming going on all the intrigue there but um so to me this uh which I don't think do we get um do, is this the first mention of the emp like in terms of the uh emperor having uh like that you know like he's in cook I think so because I'm kinda... because I think so because um uh when Reverend Mother leaves um Peter says I think it's Peter that says P I don't know however you want to pronounce it says to the the Baron um, like, because like, there's it's pretty clear that like he wants to kill Paul and Jessica too, right? And so they're like, well, you can't do that because the Manchester are gonna get us, and da, 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 da. and he's like, well, I'm not gonna like actively do right. it. The, de the desert will yeah. do it. And so I don't know. I, I, if it's not here, it's coming soon. That you do realize. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's a spoiler that like the emperor is involved in this, right? So I think this. I think they do say it here because. I think they probably explicitly say like we will use Sardaukar. That's yeah. right. That may it's be a here. later scene. Yeah. Okay. It's either, yeah. it's either here or coming up pretty soon. So. Mm. But yeah, yeah, I love uh, what he says with that. Where yeah, he's you because you again you see there's this. It's a big conspiracy to take down House of Trades, but even within that, the Harkonnens are like we're even going to betray the betrayers <laughs> that we are in line with. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, okay, so we have our next scene um, where we get our first introduction to desert power. But before we get into that scene, we're going to go ahead and take a quick break, and then we'll come back and get into desert power. And welcome back from the break, friends and faithful listeners. As you can see by the runtime on your phone, if you're paying attention to that, we are basically at the end of the episode and uh that is because we decided or i decided <laughs> to cut this conversation about dune part one into two episodes so you are listening to what is uh, what has become dune part one part one and then we will have dune part one part two next week on monday 
to finish off finish off our conversation um and you know no, no complaints about the about the length of the episode it is still less than the movie so you know it is uh not you know it'll be about two hours and 20 minutes so less than the length of the film uh no worries there but um part of why we decided to do this was not just the length of the episode itself but also i kind of jokingly said hey dune month march is dune month but if we do this episode is two parts and you get the other part next week and then if we do dune part two the week after that um there is another movie that could be our final part of dune month there so you can look forward to that but uh, our conversation on dune part two will be coming very soon uh, two weeks from when you're listening to this, if you are listening to it on the day that it came out, Monday, March 4th. So it'll be the 18th, right? So um, that'll be when we uh, have our conversation on Dune Part 2. Hopefully by then you have a chance to see the movie. And you can listen to our spoiler-filled thoughts on Dune Part 2. Uh, it should be a much shorter conversation just based off the fact that we will not be able to go scene by scene through the movie because we'll have we'll, we'll have all seen it twice but that will not you know be enough to memorize every scene obviously and uh, we won't be able to like go through and scroll through the movie on a streaming service or anything like that I, I would be absolutely shocked if it was anywhere streaming by then so um, that will be a little bit of a shorter conversation because we will not be able to go scene by scene by scene as we did in Dune Part 1. So look forward to that all in the next couple of weeks. If you're not a fan of Dune, hey, give it a shot. At this point, you're already through one episode uh, of us talking about it. Go watch the movies. Enjoy Dune Month. Be a part of the, uh, be a part of the, I don't know, group of Dune fans. <laughs> I'm going to get out of here. Thank you for listening. Have a great one. See you next week.